Welcome to Don't Feed the Trolls, <laughs> where we love our spouses so we can sleep in our houses. Today we're going to talk about the trolls of marriage with Seth and Melanie Studley of Stronger Marriages Podcast. They are the Studleys. You're like, is that true? Studley? It's true. That's all right. A long line of Studleys there. But yeah. first, we'd like to welcome zero patrons this week. No, Ooh, no new patrons, but um, the patrons are hanging in tight, so that's good. Uh, thanks, thanks for supporting us. We have so much gratitude for the people who are already on board. Right. So hopefully yes. this doesn't get annoying. Thank you. No, that's what, I mean, when we did our Patreon episode with the guy from Patreon, he said, keep talking about Patreon. That's what you're supposed to do. So that's what we're doing. Uh, you can go over to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash don't feed the trolls if you want to check out. Uh, how you can support the podcast and get a bunch of troll talks and exclusive episodes. Um, we've probably got 30 extra episodes. Some of them are pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you're into that, and we do add to that periodically. Uh, also, just a reminder, $5 patrons are invited now to a closed Facebook group where we're hanging out, sharing memes, chatting, connecting, becoming brothers, sisters, lovers, all the good things you want to be with a couple of hairy dudes wow. like us. <laughs> that was quite the description there. <laughs> Let's bring back a segment, Nate, that we haven't done in a long time because, well, we, we haven't yeah. gotten many emails. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I know this guy that this girl's talking about in this email. Oh, That's really? Yeah. Okay. Well, this, this is Don't Read the Trolls, where we read an email uh, that was sent to our email inbox at don'temailthetrolls at gmail.com. If you want to shoot us an email, uh, we could be reading your message on the podcast so don't send anything too explicit but uh this one was pretty funny nate you want to take it yeah hey guys i'm listening to your episode about myspace and i think it's funny you bring up yellow card i have a story about them and that i think you'll appreciate i used to be this bank teller back uh when ocean avenue was a popular song i had this customer named ben who was a little different he was a French fry short of a Happy Meal, if you know what I mean. Every time he came in, he talked about Yellow Card and how he was part of the band. He even claimed that Ocean Avenue was written just down the street in his grandma's basement. I never took him seriously and thought he was just confused. A couple years later, I was online and a picture of Yellow Card came up and guess whose smiling face I saw? You guessed it, Ben's. I feel like such a jerk. Some of the best musicians are a little different. Uh, I've learned a valuable lesson about people. And not to make assumptions, Sarah. Thanks, thanks, Sarah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I've toured. I, I've toured with him. So, so you know Ben. I know. I know Ben. Yeah. Is he I a mean, French I, fry I, short of a Happy Meal? I know Ben in like the loose touring world. Like you know, we've been on tours together. He he filled right. in for this play guitar. With, we toured this band over it. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know if you remember them, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So and and then he was on Warp Tour. I talked to him a bunch, and then he was trying to do some stuff with our old. Our, our first record label, he was trying to do some stuff with the owner of that. So I ran into him a bunch of times, but, you know, those guys were notorious for smoking a lot of weed, so... Uh, <laughs> that's maybe where the French fry went. Yeah, that's where the French fry <laughs> went, so... French fried. You know what I mean? He was a smart... He was he was a he was a business guy. He was pretty smart in his own way. I'm just saying that sometimes people talk to you and they're like, they're in their head or they're off to right. lunch somewhere because they're creative folks and they, they come across dumb, but... Right. The guy joined a successful band, so he can't be that. Yeah, dumb, don't right? uh, don't judge. But that's good that she learned a valuable lesson about not making assumptions. Yeah, because you know when you assume, you make an ass of you. Me. That's great. 
my wife always says. All right, now to our topic of the day. So one thing everyone will tell you uh, is that marriage is hard. And the truth is, if you're married or thinking about it, the reality is you have about a 50% chance of success. It's pretty bummer. One and two, right? So, and that, and that means, you know, till death do you part. Actually, I think some of those stats might mean 25 years or longer. So who knows how many Jeez. after 25 years don't make it. But, uh, but if you do make it that far, there's a chance you won't be happy for most of it. <laughs> So, wow. why play the lottery? Why get married? Isn't it an outdated institution anyways? We're modern people. We can think and dream up new institutions. What could marriage possibly teach us? So today, we're going to talk to husband and wife Seth and Melanie Studley. They are the hosts of Stronger Marriages podcast. Um, and we're going to talk to them about their marriage's rocky start and what they've learned about the value of well, exposing ourselves to the trolls, if you will, that await us in the lifelong interpersonal covenant of marriage. So, I mean, you said that like you were reading it, but I know you weren't. Man, how'd you get so good at this podcasting thing? <laughs> Shut up. Is there anything you guys specifically want to talk about before we jump in or we can just kind of wing it? Um, we can wing it if you want. I like the idea of talking about, because um, I just listened to your podcast about uh, like all the sexual misconduct stuff. Right. And I like you were talking about how people aren't um, like transparent enough. Right. Or I can't remember how you worded it, but I thought that was a really cool concept and I think it's. Uh, one of the really big takeaways from our show is that like we're being fully transparent right. in our marriage and not trying to show like the stupid glitzy glamoury happy side of it right. and um that kind of struck me as being something that might uh that like your audience might enjoy and would be fun to talk about Sweet. All so. right. yeah mm -hmm. we got in trouble for those podcasts oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good it was good like we got called out you know for not i don't know i i think we just kind of tried to take a a try to do an ang a third angle when when sometimes yeah. when it comes to just the binary of a victim and abuser it a third angle yeah. isn't helpful sometimes so um i thought it was great i okay, thought the good. whole concept of putting on like a um what did you say not a a testosterone hat or a helmet <laughs> i thought it was like brilliant i mean that is what i think people need because you know i mean wait a minute you think they I didn't listen to that episode, so sorry. So you, they, like, they were talking about like how women should be able to, you know, like how women get pregnant and men put on like the pregnancy suit. Oh, and they're right. like, oh, this is a heavy blah, blah, blah. But they're saying that women should have to put on a uh, testosterone helmet so that they can see like how angry they are and how much they oh, like want to okay. bone things or whatever. <laughs> 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 like the perfect right. thing. And so, yeah. <laughs> Out of context, I can see where the testosterone hat would like make a lot of sense. Uh, because I think the, the the struggle can it's just different. Yeah, I, I loved it. Well, let's just 
let's keep all this in here. Let's just let's just roll into yeah. the interview because this is all good too. Um, yeah, can we just start by? Uh, can you guys just tell us a bit about yourselves and what motivated you to make a podcast about marriage? Yeah. Well, my name is Melanie Studley, and I am the creator of the show. I do all of the editing and sound design and produce it. And what show? Uh, the podcast is called Stronger Marriages, which is the original name. It is going to be changed to Anatomy of Marriage. Mm-hmm. But um, and then this is my husband Seth. Hola. My name is Seth. I'm a marriage and family therapist, and we wanted to do the podcast. Uh, there's a funny story of how it came about. We were talking about doing a podcast, me and Melanie, because I'm a therapist and we had a crazy story. We're like, hey, let's let's put it out there. So I called Matt Carter, who's in the band Emory, which I used to be the drummer for. And I was asking Matt, hey, um, can we use an Emory song for some uh, uh, like some, for the some track? You poked the bear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I poked the bear and he's like, wait a minute, what what are you guys doing? I said, Well, me and Melanie want to do a marriage podcast. And unbeknownst to us, Craig Gross from StrongerMarriages.com and Triple X Church had approached Matt like a week before saying, Hey, I heard, you know, the Bad Christian podcast. I know all the stuff that you do with Bad Christian. Um and Can you, I want I, you to, yeah. I want you, Matt, to uh create a marriage podcast. So that's how it was born in a very serendipitous way. And then kind of the rest is history. So it's a fun little story about, cause I don't even think Matt thought of us, you know, in the possibility of, you know, us actually doing a marriage podcast. So you were on the bad Christian podcast though, right? Originally. Yeah. yeah Seth I was on it while we were making the podcast itself. It took a long time to oh, make wow. it. Yeah, it but, took like a year, yeah. I think to make season one. And I think I was on one of the earlier BC episodes and then again we talked about our story and then I think her and I were on there I don't know what episode um, but we've been on there uh, a couple of times but I think the most important thing is we wanted to share our story um, because you know how like uh, taking the narrative approach the storytelling approach is so like um, uh, helpful inviting and like giving you know analogy for this and that I mean that's why cereal is so popular or this American life or anything that Ira Glass does is that narrative approach where you actually get to know the characters in the story and there's character development and mm. it, it makes it makes all the that's what we're doing wrong <laughs> <laughs> I have a formula uh. yeah yeah no, it just takes um, uh, it brings the listener just into that story and then go, oh, wait a minute, they're not so crazy, and you know, half the stuff that happened to them has happened to me before, and they're talking about it, and they're not dead or divorced, so maybe I should go go for it. it I think it's empowering in a way for a lot of listeners to hear our story. Yeah, well, why don't you share some of that? I mean, I know just being on, just being asked to be on a bad Christian podcast, like I have a couple times, they always just want the dirt. Yeah, <laughs> I think part of that is like, you know, it's they they're excited about that, that open honesty and and people airing their dirt because they, they like to air their own dirt. Um, mm-hmm. We're a little less like that, but uh, but we we still would like to hear kind of, you know, I, I mean, not every not every couple sits down and goes, we should make a podcast about marriage. Um, yeah. Usually you got to go through something to to see the value in marriage and, and I guess your first few marriage uh, years of marriage were hard. Is that what it was? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's putting it lightly. So we, 
got, let's see, we had a really weird relationship just right from the beginning. He was in Emory. He moved up from South Carolina to Seattle where I lived. We started dating after we knew each other for a year. We started dating and we only dated for five months. And then we got married three months later. So we got married like right away and Seth was touring in a band and I thought, yes, I'm marrying a drummer. This is so cool. And then he quit the band and became, he's like, no, I'm going to go to get my master's degree in psychology. And I'm like, what the crap? Like in marriage and family therapy. So it totally changed, which was not a huge deal, but was not what we were planning. And then, um, in that time, like, he was in school all the time I was working and then we had a baby and then we had another baby and we just like sucked at being adults. And at some point along the way, Seth had confessed like right after I had given birth to our second son that he had been like lying to our counselors and he had been looking at pornography and not telling anybody. And like we, we had been going to counseling cause we were just having a really hard time being normal humans. And so I like lost my mind. And again, I didn't know how to be an adult and I sucked at everything. Well, you didn't, you didn't lose your mind just because I was like, Hey, I've been looking at this stuff. It was more of a like, uh, selfishness communication. It was Um, like a cumulative, you know, the stress of having a two week old baby and a one year old baby at the same time was really hard. And that's mm -hmm. when he confessed was when our babies were little. And so he was, still at school all the time and at work all the time. And so it went, it just escalated really, really fast. And at one point I was trying my hardest to get him to leave me so that I didn't look like the bad guy and I could like blame him entirely. And, um, I actually gave him a black eye. Like he tried to hug me and I kicked him in the nuts and he hugged me, tried to hug me again. And I punched him in the face. Wow. Yeah. Was, I mean, it was like, he was really trying cool. to do the punch till you hug thing. And yeah, there, was, right. there was no like, hug yeah. at the end of that. Yeah. No. no wonder you like the testosterone helmet. You just yeah. went for it. It made sense to me. Yeah. yeah. Wow. You guys both sound like just, I, I, I don't even think I've heard the, the initial story of just how you guys met and got married really fast, but, and then just started having kids. It sounds like you guys are just both really impulsive. Am I what, reading I, what that? You, <laughs> yes. We, <laughs> we like want what we want and we want it right now. And we want to think about it later. <laughs> yeah, we are pretty impulsive. You know, that, that makes me think I, I've never been, I guess, labeled as impulsive, but it's like true, when, yeah. when I, when I, when I was dating Melanie and stuff, I, I don't know how I was like 25 or something like that. I was like, well, why wouldn't I get married to her? And I, you know, dated a bunch of girls before and I never really felt that way. And it was like, why, why wouldn't I do this? You know, it's like, why wouldn't I eat steak for dinner tonight? Okay. You know, so I guess that's impulsive, but um, I, couldn't, I couldn't come up with like real reasons not to. And then I was just asking myself, well, what am I waiting on? What else is there going to be? Like, what else do I need? And it was just that kind of a realization of like, yeah, this is the right thing to do. Um, do you feel like, do you feel like most marriages have a similar story? I mean, it sounds like, you know, you guys kind of went through some rocky times, but I mean, pretty much everyone I talk to, you know, my honest friends will say, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of some stuff we went through too. Is that is that what you find? More people are actually have struggling than more people are succeeding. I, I think um, uh, people are are succeeding through the struggling, and at the same time, not not being completely honest. Like I don't think domestic violence is that um, uh, 
Well, it, it, it's sure it's an issue like across marriages. I think like in our demographic, that's probably not the case. So when you say are most marriages, you know, gone through stuff that we went through. I don't think so. I don't think. Well, maybe know. not that part. But yeah, I, maybe, I, maybe not that part, like, but other things like, yeah. you know, the, the terrible commu- communication, the not being like really transparent uh, with one another, not being as intentional as we could be, you know, because a lot of people like have, you know, arguments or whatever, then, you know, two years later, they're like, oh, we're having the same argument and this just sucks. Okay, well, this is the way it is. Um, I think for us, we're like, no, this is not how we want it to be. Yeah. And part of the reason that the podcast came about was that when we were going through these really hard times, I was like searching for content like marriage podcasts, marriage books, marriage, you know, anything. And everything was based on really, really happy couples. And it I'm was like, like the Joel Osteen. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You need to, you need to, you need to name it like the MMA marriage podcast <laughs> where we do get out so we get yeah. stronger. Right. Know? Yeah. I mean, cause it was really like, I needed, I needed to read a book from someone who would like had given their husband a black eye to know, cause yeah. all of the books were framed from this perspective of like, Oh um, yeah. Sometimes my husband doesn't fold the laundry the way I like him to, but you know, I just pray about it and forgive him. And it's like, <laughs> what the hell? No, like, no, I, I need to know what to do when like my husband wants to go on a date and I would rather spit in his face like that. Cause that's what it felt like, you know, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to give up on our marriage cause I love Seth and I wanted to fight for it. Mm-hmm. And so just, unfortunately I was fighting him. So you guys obviously, I mean, for lack of a better term, had a shitty marriage, uh, for, for a good portion of time. And, and in the chaos of having little kids, Nate and I both can relate to that. Um, often you're, you're, your relationship can can you know be put on the back burner and you know you're not dealing with certain things you're just kind of like going along to get along or or dividing and conquering etc mm-hmm. like how do you at, with with two young kids you said when it kind of hit its fever pitch what do you what sort of steps did you take when you decided all right I we we want to stay married and this isn't working like what'd mm-hmm. you do i think we we did no, it was almost like nothing was fun, you know, like there was there was no pleasure in like almost anything except just waking up. And I remember like probably for a year, I would wake up thinking that everything is OK. And then literally after two seconds of being really conscious, I'd be like, oh, wait, this is my life. Right. And maybe like people who have um, uh, chronic depression feel like that, like after they wake up, they go, oh, yeah, this and that's how I felt for a total, I don't know, probably year, year and a half. But I think there were some really marked things that we did. Like I set prayer alarms and we both kind of resolved. And I don't even know if we had to talk about this. Like, hey, Melanie, we're staying together no matter what. We're going to work through this. It was more of a kind of a um, uh, a thing that just happened through what we were doing. It's kind of like, you know, you, I didn't have a goal of like, okay, I'm going to lose a hundred pounds in the next six months. And here's my plan. Here's this and this and this. My only thing was like, okay, I'm not giving up and let's go from there. And everything else was like reverse engineered kind of thing, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. We just Uh, did really like, it was like, take it a day at a time, which sounds really stupid, but that's all we can do. We couldn't, I couldn't look into the future and be like, Oh, I'm going to love him in one year. I was like, no, I hate him right now. (laughs) And so he would pray, like he would set an alarm and he would pray every morning and night, but then he would call me three times a day from work and he would pray three times a day on the phone. And I would like sometimes not even talk at all. Like I wouldn't even say hello. Like I would just pick up my phone 
he could hear me. He could hear that I was alive on the other end, and he would pray. I could feel her anger. Yeah, he could feel my my pulsating what wrath. You, what would you What would you say in that prayer? I I don't really remember. I it would be, you know, like. Uh, it was a lot of like just, um, you know, like hey, I you know I I pray that we um have strength. Maybe it was praying for myself. I pray that our both our hearts are softened to one another, mm-hmm. that are open, you know. And sometimes she would say thank you. Other times she would not say a word and just click. And it was kind of I I went into every day like when when Melanie said like take it, you know, a a, a day at a time. That sure that's overused, but there's so much wisdom in that because it's like that's really all that we could do. So I I think just unconsciously, I just moved ahead and didn't expect a single thing except like, okay, I'm just gonna plug away at this. I'm gonna plug away. Maybe that's the only thing I expected from myself. I'm just gonna I'm gonna do this. I said I would, and I feel that that is what is needed. So I would just like wake up every day. Not expect a single thing except for her to be, you know, right. upset, pissed, hurt, anything. So just kind of trudge through that, like literally no matter what, like no matter what I was doing when those alarms went off. I remember I was at Matt and Bridget's wedding and we were there together and uh, the prayer alarms would go off. And I, I stopped what I was doing. I think he we was were in, in a, a rehearsal. Groom, yeah, he was in a groomsman photo shoot at the wedding. Oh, that's right. And yeah. he like stopped like, and you guys, walked I away. I have to call. Give me, me 30 seconds. And then, boom. <laughs> yeah. That's commitment, and, and then, though. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I think that is – I had no other choice. You know, either, either this doesn't work or this, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. Yeah. And, yeah, and, you know, and it, it, worked. So, it sounds like it's it's coming from more of like a spiritual or religious practice place, like maybe church community influenced that um, concept. But also, like, if you're just looking at it practically, it sounds like, I mean, you're a therapist, you'd know more about this than, than me, but it sounds like differentiation a little bit. Right. Like, you are self-identifying, not expecting, not not fused to what her reactions are and you're committed to your own thing and you're just doing it and you know and that and then you're doing it with a positive intent like oh Mm -hmm. i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna pay attention to our relationship six times a day which is i mean that's got to have something you know psychologically changing about it yeah uh, at, at the time it was much more kind of spiritually based like Holy shit, we cannot, we absolutely cannot do this without, you know, divine intervention, without help. So prayer was a way for me to like tap into that. Um, I guess at least this is what I was thinking at the time. Now, as a therapist and just kind of growing spiritually and uh, whatever, I think the intention around it and the expectation and the consistency, I mean, anything that you do six times a day for like a year, you're going to get good at, and that's going to... How old were you guys at this at this point in time? I think I was like 31. Right? I was probably 27, maybe. 27 and maybe 32 or something. We're, we're six years apart, right? Yeah, you. we had Mariner... No, you would have been 31. Mm-hmm. And I would have been whatever is that minus six. <laughs> yeah, so we were deeply involved in the church at that time, and... What church? Uh, Mars Hill. 
Well, there. Well, that's where you went wrong. No, I just. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> right. right. Oh, well. uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, no. What's funny about that is that we were at Marcel for a really long time, and the one thing about Marcel that we walk away that like one of the most positive things is that the counselor at Marcel was probably what saved our marriage. Yeah. And so Absolutely. it was like for all the crappy crap that Marcel did. One really good counselor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for the listeners, for the listeners who don't know, Mars Hill, it was a church in Seattle founded by a, a pastor named Mark Driscoll, and uh, it kind of like blew up, and then it went away pretty fast because of a lot of uh, nefarious activities and accusations and bad stuff. Yeah. You know, the average man has one testosterone helmet. Driscoll had like five, so <laughs> I think I, I think that's the problem. We had a really weird uh, experience because I used to lead worship. So I, I led worship with like Dustin Kinsrew at Bellevue with at Mars Hill. And so I remember Dustin was always trying to get me to sing more songs. And one time, and, and this is where Pastor Mark was, right? So we he would be at every service and sit in the front row or whatever. And like, this was one service where I had like, I think I led on like four of the songs. Like they were my songs to sing the lead vocals on instead of just backup. Right. Yeah. Because everyone was always asking me to sing more. And I'm like, tell that to the people who run the show. Like I can't, I can't make myself sing more because they take songs away from me. But anyway, so by the end of the day, pastor Mark had requested to switch the songs to Dustin and each, and we sang like four or five services that day. And every service, it would be like, oh, yeah, let Dustin lead on this one. Oh, yeah, let Dustin lead on this one and this one. Oh, yeah, let him lead on this one and this one and this one. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the day, I led on one song. And we had to switch keys for all of those songs. <laughs> so all of the musicians. So think about that. From a musician standpoint, we had to transpose all of those songs into a different key for right. Dustin to lead on, rehearse them between sets. Right. Like, it was unbelievable. And it was only, wow, and there was wow. no other reason than I'm a lady. Yeah, right? I mean, that's got to be. I mean, and that's and that's another thing yeah. that listeners don't know that one one of the biggest accusations and probably has the most weight behind it was um, kind of misogynistic teachings coming out of uh, of that camp. But despite all that, and you guys kind of going through that, I mean, that's a whole other level of trauma of that yeah. church kind of imploding. Well, I, I think I think the thing I think the reason I brought up the age thing is because. Um, I don't know. It seems like a lot of my friends got either married in their early 20s or like in their 30s. And it seems as though in my own life, my 30s are a much better time um, internally, if, I, if I'm to say that out, out loud. Yeah, it, internally, there's just less. I mean, even though I'm the same person battling the same demons, it seems as though in my 30s, I'm less reluctant to blame it on somebody else. I'm more, more, I'm more reluctant, <laughs> more, re- more reluctant. Yes. Right. That's how I would say that. Sorry. Uh, uh, to blame it on somebody else because I'm just like, you know, I've learned through my twenties, like nine times out of 10, when I blamed it on somebody else, it was really me. It was rarely the other person. And so I think when you bring that sort of understanding to marriage, like my wife and I don't fight as much, I would say m- most of the people in their thirties are just it's not that they're fighting. It's just like, okay, we've got to remember how to connect too. like, how yeah. do we, how do we like get the newness to this again? Whereas a lot of my friends in their twenties would say, man, we fought like cats and dogs. And then we just had makeup sex all the time. And that's really yeah. all it was. It was just this high, low, high, low, high, low. Yeah. And, th- and now it feels like it's more just kind of like a steady road. 
and you're trying to get that road to go up, get 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 those highs a little bit more often. Is, is, is am I onto anything, or am I just? I think a lot yeah. of people think like that. I don't think that we're like that at all. <laughs> what are you talking about? Of course like, we were. Let, okay, let me say it this way. I okay. turned thirty. I'm thirty four, and when I turned thirty, I don't know what it was, but it was like a light switch went on. And I looked around and I'm like, what the hell have I been doing for the last 30 years? Like <laughs> thinking every, like thinking every, uh, everyone's looking at me. Everyone's judging me. Oh, I need to do this. Oh, I need mm-hmm. to do that. And I'm like, no one cares. Right. Like nobody cares. And I, and there was so much, um, uh, just like insecurity and, and I think you're right. It was that like seeking like the thrill of an argument or the thrill of like a chase kind of a thing. And then the crash. And that's like how we lived, I think. I think you still try to. Live I've that never way. sought the thrill of an argument. <laughs> you well, you They're seek the thrilling. thrill of like a scone, and then you have the crash of blood sugar. Oh right. <laughs> so I think that that's. <laughs> Don't we all? I mean, I love a thrill. I, I love a thrilling argument, and even even with my wife, um, but. Hopefully, it doesn't you know create distance in our relationship. Right. I, I always <laughs> feel like there's. I don't know connection through conflict sometimes, but uh, which can be unhealthy, obviously. That's how um, I am too. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just repeat that, you know, and like, why isn't this working? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd like to have an argument with your wife. That would be kind of. Well, fun. what? <laughs> can I dig in a little bit more? Like, you got to this point where you're praying three times a day. Or was it six times a day or three times a day? It's like, like five, six and greater. Okay. Yeah, something like what, what was going on to get you to the point where you were like, like, what kind of fights were you having? What were you looking for that you weren't getting? Because I think a lot of people, you know, they get to a point where they're like, I, I don't want to call six times a day. I'm not going to do that. I will do these other things, but I, I guess I'm just wondering what was actually happening to get to that point, And then what, why was there still gas left in the tank to call six times a day when you got there? Cause some people just, there's no gas left in the tank by the time they get to this point. You know what I mean? They're just like, forget it. I, I can't even, I can't even look at you. I don't even want to look at you. So I, I'm just, I, I'm just curious. Yeah. For me, I know that it was like, I just didn't trust him. And so that was the majority of our fights were like, you're lying to me. Like, why would you tell me the truth now when you didn't tell me the truth then and you didn't tell our counselors the truth, right? So it was just this like constant barrage of me trying to prove that he was lying to me. So that was the majority of what we were fighting about was my distrust. And then, um, and, and again, like I said, I literally was trying to get him to leave me for probably a good six months, four to six months, I was like, you're going to hate me so much that you're going to leave and I'm going to look like the normal one. Right? But subconsciously, <laughs> she wanted me to, to fight. I wanted him to fight. fight and like kind of, uh, well, not kind of, but to prove that I was here for her. And we never had a, a conversation about that, but that's what she subconsciously wanted. And in my mind, like you, you talked about having gas in the tank, Nate, I was literally, I was like, there, there is nothing else. Like I, I'm not, I'm not going to leave, you know, we're not going to break. She would text me saying, I want to divorce you. And I would just text back saying, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. No. Like, really, really yeah, and not, not in a weird controlling kind of way, but just like, you know, it, it, she might as well have been saying, Hey, let's go buy a new car right now and be like, no, that's not what we're doing right now. <laughs> yeah. You know, we can talk about it, but that is not, is that it? I'm sorry. I, do you, 
do you feel like that was the best response or if you would have, I mean, obviously it worked out, but do you think like for everybody that like have this sort of a kind of aggressive way to respond is a good thing always? Well, well, I mean, sure. You and know, I'm not I, saying, I it's, I'm not saying it was overly aggressive. I'm just saying, no, like we're not getting a divorce. I mean, I, you know, I, I sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, in, in some cases, divorce would be the best thing. Um, and this is all in context and, you know, it's our marriage. So I know exactly sure. the concept and that wasn't the right answer for us. Okay. I don't even think that, that, like I said, it, it was, I, I would respond, no, we're not getting a divorce. Um, and a very non-controlling, that was like, I'm not very aggressive in, in that sense when it comes to relationships and stuff. So I, you know, it was like, like exactly like you, you wouldn't, if, if you said, if your wife said, Hey, I want to go to Hawaii and buy a new car. It wouldn't be aggressive to say, well, no, that's, we're not going to do that right now. Yeah, here's, yeah, a, totally. here's the list. Why, you know, mm-hmm. like for us, it's like, we have kids, you know, this is, you know, we can get through this. We're yeah. strong enough in this. We actually do love each other. So all the, all the lists were. Yeah. That for me positive. was what was the gas in the tank was our kids. Basically. It mm-hmm. was like, I would look at my, look at my kids and they were really little. Like I had a one year old and a two week old like legitimately tiny kids. And I would look at them and be like, how the hell am I going to do this by myself? And do I want to raise these kids without a dad? No. And Seth is a really fun person and he's a good father. So it was like, very good. And, and, <laughs> <laughs> and thankfully I had friends around me and like my mom and my sister would say like, it would remind me how good of a dad he is. And, and I think that was like, the place of probably the most openness in my heart was, was him as a father, not him as a husband. So if they were to remind me how good of a husband he was, I'd be like, whatever, shut up. Like you're not talking the truth right now, but they would remind me that he was a good father. And I'd be like, yeah, you know, you're right. Mm -hmm. And so it was like the father aspect that really kind of kept me staying in the relationship as well, that I didn't want my kids to have a different dad. Here's a question for you. When you talk about it now, is it still kind of hurtful to like bring it up and say at one point I punched you in the face and then I thought I didn't, tr-, you know what I mean? Like I, 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 I'm kind of a sensitive person and I would be like, I don't know. It would be hard to rehash it all the time. Is it hard to rehash this stuff? I think when we were first making the podcast, it was, it was really hard because it was the first time that I had to admit to people like really, really openly that I was the one who was the domestic violence um, perpetrator. perpetrator. Like when we have a whole episode about domestic violence and it is all about me, it's not about him. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, it was really hard at first to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to make an entire 35 minute episode about how I punched my husband in the face and clawed his back and kicked him in the nuts and threw things at him and broke his stuff. And then, and so for at the very beginning, that was like the, a nightmare. It was really hard. Cause it was like, it would bring up all these emotions yeah. that are very, very strong. And then, but you have to remember like, when you're editing the audio and when you're collecting the interviews, I can't turn around and be mean to Seth because I feel all those emotions again. So it was a really almost an interesting experiment in how well I could control my actual physiological response because my body was telling me to get angry again, but my head is like, no, we're over this and we made it through this. So it was like a really interesting, not many situations are like that in life where you can actually talk through something when you're not in it and you know what I mean so it's just a it's kind of a weird thing yeah but. this is the first day of my life I swear I was born right in the doorway 
I went out in the rain, suddenly everything changed. They're spreading blankets on the beach. Yours is the first face that I saw. I think I was blind before I met you. I don't know where I am, I don't know where I've been, but I know where I want to go. It's interesting. You guys, so you guys have, have, uh, you've had domestic violence in your marriage. Uh, mm. you, and you just went through explaining the stay together for the kids mentality, which yeah, <laughs> usually right. doesn't work. Mm-hmm. How do you get like, so you decide you're going to, it's the kids really is the motivator. And, and then what, then, then, then what do you start doing? Like you talked about prayer, uh, obviously, but you know, that's a, that's an intent thing. What practical yeah. steps did you take? Well, I think it started with, uh, like I said, I think kids were my gateway to staying with Seth. They were the, they were the softest place that I could land in relationship with him. So that's where I started. I said, okay, I'm going to start there. Yeah, that was like I, entry point. Yeah. Like I don't want to leave him, even though I, I kind of at the same time want to really hate him. Um, so that was the beginning of that. So it wasn't exclusively for the kids. That was just the softest place I could land with him. But then beyond that, it was 100%. I knew if we were going to sustain a relationship together, I needed to change and he Mm -hmm. needed to change, but I couldn't make him change and he couldn't make me change. So it was all like personal growth, 1000%, like turn and look in the mirror and say to myself, what am I doing that makes this worse. Mm-hmm. And, and I would allow Seth and he would allow me to speak to one another in that way as well. Like, Oh, when you do this thing, it hurts my feelings. But that was so almost like, that was like two years into this process that we could actually get to that space of actually saying to one another, please don't do this thing anymore. I can't handle it. Mm-hmm. Cause it took so much build rebuilding of trust to get to that point. Or so, may- maybe not even rebuilding of trust. Sure. That was a huge part of it. But just like learning to learning to be normal in a marriage, yeah. you know, because even even before all this stuff happened, the 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 domestic violence, the craziness, like I think we we were both kind of crazy, not like mental health crazy, but just crazy and goofy and really immature in our first, second, third, fourth year of we marriage. Really just like yeah. yeah, and sometimes I look back, even oh even if we didn't have all the DB stuff that happened in the whole story. Yeah. How in the world did we even like make it, you know, because we would just argue about the stupidest things and, all like, the time. Is it like the way you responded to each other? Like, hey, honey, I need you to do this. And then it's just like, yeah. and it's just like under your breath kind of talking like like wh- what what happens? Why do people's marriages slowly degrade? Is it they just, you know just lose respect for each other the way they communicate with each other i mean like i know what i do when i just get into my own head and i just forget that like my wife's this this you know emotional creature i can't just task orient the week away and i think that's something that men struggle with is it just gets so task oriented they forget to you know kind of stop and smell the roses and and enjoy the day and ask their wife how they're doing things like that yeah well, we, uh, the, the cool thing about the podcast is we break each episode down into topics because when we went to review, like what happened in our marriage, it was those, it was, we found topics like key touchstone things that were like, Oh, so we fought all the time because 
of communication. And so then we explore communication in a, in what feels like a new way to me when we did the podcast is like, he is from the South and I am from Seattle right there. We communicate differently, just culturally speaking. Right. But then on top of that, there's an, an entire additional layer of actual cultural differences. So not just communication, but like what is expected when you sit down at the table for supper? What is expected when you go to church? What do you wear? How do you talk? How long should a girl's hair be? What should she wear? Right? Like these are all really, really important things that are like just like bred into us from our childhood that like roll one onto the other. So from our cultural differences, right on top of that is expectations. What is it? You felt like you had a lot more independence coming into the relationship, uh, a little bit more of that West Coast sort of independent woman kind of vibe is, is, is for lack of a better way to say that. Yeah. But to Seth, it read as like, she doesn't care about what anybody thinks and she just does whatever she wants. So to him, it came across as like, it was offensive. Yeah. He that, hated sounds, it. that sounds weird. Yeah. I mean, I married a girl from the South and I grew up in California. So I kind of did the opposite. Uh, dated, I dated a lot of girls who went to like liberal schools and, and on the West coast, you know, the, uh, the UCLA's and the Berkeley's and, 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 you know, from the Bay area, San Francisco, very, very open, liberal minded. And, and, and a lot of those things are great. A lot of those in, opinions are great. I, 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 I worked at a camp in Santa Cruz, which is extremely liberal town. And, uh, I say liberal just cause I don't have a better word, but, um, but then I married this girl from Florida and it was, and I could just say this to agree with you that it was very, very nice to go. You know, I used to have gun debates with girls I dated. Like, you never, you know, you never own a gun. And my, and then my wife goes, "Oh yeah, you know, if you marry me, I just know that she's like a school teacher, nice school teacher. She's like, I, I got like ten guns." And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, what? So it was totally the opposite. Where it was like, I didn't have to like have all these conversations, but uh, it was it was nice for me because I was like, I'm I I was so tired of kind of dating some of the west coast girls it's like so exhausting i'm like i can't keep up with these what are we fighting about like i i don't know <laughs> i don't know yet what i think about barack obama okay let's i don't know let's let's not talk about that uh so all that to say is i can kind of understand the opposite happening where he comes from the south she's from the pacific northwest and then they meet in the middle and then watch out you know like <laughs> uh I, I can understand that so it probably takes some time for both of you to you probably have to adopt some more southern ideas and he's got to adopt some more pacific northwest ideas and was any i i assume none of this was like really flushed because because you you mentioned up top communication was a big problem so none mm-hmm. of this was sort of negotiated as far as no. like what, what you guys were going to do as a family and what, what parts you were going to take from your upbringings and combine no that that's what i'm saying like in the first you know, five years of marriage, we, it's just like, we had we had no idea. It's like we put blindfolds on and they were like, all right, be married, but just don't, don't use your eyeballs. Like we yeah. just were <laughs> lost and had no thoughts about what was right or wrong or anything. Like no, we, we just, had, we had thoughts, but a lot of those were, were opposing thoughts. And I think like just me being uh male and from the South, I was, I was pretty opinionated on things and kind of more of the, the, the dominant, kind of, I, I don't know, dom- not in dominant, like in a weird way, but um, just that, I don't know, that stereotypical male-female dynamic, like Melanie wanted to like be a good wife and like not say stuff all the time, and I would be just like saying really hurtful things, but not even knowing it, and uh, 
Do you think that was Southern or that was just part of maybe the church that you were a part of at the time or? No, it wasn't. It, it was, it? it was Southern and it was family of origin stuff. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Family of origin is another uh, episode that we well, talk about yeah. like our backgrounds and, um, but also I'm the youngest kid of five. So like there is a huge element. Seth is the oldest male in his family. I'm the youngest girl in mine. And oh, so I like, feel it. I feel it. there's uh, like a Instagram. Uh, oh, birth yeah. Right? yeah birth order stuff and so like he would you know I would want to make him happy so I would be like oh how do you want me I literally would ask him what do you want me to wear because he would complain about my clothes and so I would not internalize that as an oh he hates me I was like I'm gonna make him happy by dressing the way he wants so then I would try to dress the way he wanted and I would hate myself I'd be like I look like an idiot I hate how I feel and you're not even happy <laughs> like it was and so it was just this weird dynamic of like we didn't know what we wanted we had no sort of like real empathetic kind abilities with one another so we were blindly yeah. just this is what I feel right now I'm going to say it I'm going to act on it and yeah. I don't care what the ramifications are so but it is interesting to know that like where you're born what part of the country uh, really affects sort of like your politics, your religion, everything. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, totally. And and then you bring all that to a marriage. And then after, you know, five, six months of dating, that's when that stuff comes out. And unfortunately, a lot of people are already married by then. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like, what? Who'd you vote for? That's it. <laughs> We're done. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really, we did a whole episode on the science of love and it's all about the chemicals in your brain. And we talked to Mike McGarg from Science Mike and the Liturgist podcast. And um, we talk about like, what are the, like the chemical is actually called phenylethylamine that happens. It's the like falling in love chemical. And it lasts for six months to two years. And we got married after eight months, right? Huh. So he's like, yeah, you're right in that zone of like everything is rose-colored glasses. Like you don't see the flaws in that person. And then one day that chemical like, you know, wears off. And when it's gone, you're like, what is wrong with you? Why did you know? How come when we got married now all of a sudden you do every stupid thing? But really it's not. They didn't change. <laughs> it's yeah. our chemicals that changed, you know? Yeah, so it, it's interesting. Yeah, the yeah, perception well, of them. What what chemical disappears at seven years? Because there's another sort of shift that yeah, happens. Yeah, well, that was another one um, where they talk about the different phases. So it's like the first handful of years are sort of like your, uh, your setting stuff up. It's like you're growing together. It's all kind of new. So maybe, like maybe new jobs are happening. Yeah, maybe like a more you're getting a mortgage or you're buying a house or you're having yeah. kids. And then it's like there are seven years and twenty two years. There's like these weird. It's like a transition in your actual marriage from. Mm -hmm from being kind of new to being like, we need to actually sustain this in a healthy way. And I don't know, I can't remember. I know Dr. Claudia Graf Browns talks about that specifically mm -hmm. that, um, at the seven year mark and the 22 year mark, it's mm -hmm. like people, people tend to want to get a divorce at those times. What I is remember the my freshman what? year of college, my freshman year of college, everyone's parents were getting divorced. Mm -hmm. right. uh, yeah. I remember that. Because they, they're, their kids are leaving the house. And then now they're like, what we were lacking the chemical connection that our children had, that right, our children created. Right. And it's a giant transition. And they're, they're looking across the table at their, their husband and going, oh, we were just, we were just partners in this child rearing project. And I don't actually, yeah. actually, I don't really like hanging out with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey everyone, this conversation went a little bit longer than normal Trolls episodes, so we're going to cut this one into two episodes. 
So we're hoping you're enjoying part one of the Trolls of Marriage. And the second part will be next week. Um, Yeah. So stay tuned for the second half of this conversation. Thanks. Thanks.